The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. As me, Becca, and Ryan kind of sat down and thought about, what are we going to do? It's the summertime. We can do whatever we want. Uh, we, we thought, well, what should we talk about? And we came to the glorious conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And I really think that this wasn't our decision. I think this was the Lord's. And I think he imprinted on our hearts. And we all got really excited about it when we came to this decision that this is what we're going to talk about. Um, and for the, from the Sermon on the Mount, I think a lot of us have heard it. Maybe some of you have not ever heard it. I'm going to take a little drink of water because my mouth's feeling really cottony. And I don't like that. <laughs> Lemon water, it's good for you. <laughs> That's my little plug. Um, <laughs> so we talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And with the Sermon on the Mount, I think some people have heard about it. It's very cliche in Christian places to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but we come at it with, because it's talked about so much, we come at it with these ideas and preconceived notions of what it is. Um, and we just, we, a lot of times we look at the Sermon on the Mount as being this set of teachings that we can just follow and, and, and just this, this cliche things that we can do to kind of gain our way into God's favor. Uh, it says things like, um, uh, when someone hits you, turn the other cheek or things like that. And it's like, oh, like this is Jesus' little teachings to kind of get us, uh, in favor with God and get us on the right track. Um, so some of us, for some of us, it's these rules and these set of rules that kind of bind us. Uh, for others, we just think of it as like some good teachings, the things that we could follow that will make this world a better place if we believe it. Um, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, I just feel it's so much more than that. It's so much bigger and deeper than that. Um, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount from the book of Matthew. And as Jesus is going into his teaching from the book of Matthew, he keeps talking about this thing called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Um, and this, simply put, I'm going to tell you right now, simply put, is God's presence. Where God is at is God's kingdom. And as Jesus says uh, that we are entering the kingdom of God, we can bring up our first slide. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From this time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He starts out his teaching, his ministry. Everything he's doing is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And the Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus telling us, Hey, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. So it's not just a set of rules. It's not just these cliches. It is Jesus' largest um, collection of teachings in one place. And it is setting the stage for what God's kingdom looks like, for what relationship with God looks like, what right relationship with God is, what the world was supposed to be the way that God created it. Are you tracking me? It's the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Before we can get into the Sermon on the Mount or teach anything on it, before we can begin to understand it, I think we need to begin to understand who Jesus is and begin to understand what this kingdom of heaven is that he is calling us into. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. You guys on board? Yeah. All right. Should be fun. Um, so where should we start? Probably the beginning. Genesis. I'm going to take us way back. Track with me. This is, guys, before I keep going, this is, this is, a, I feel like this is a weighty sermon. And I first wrote it out in my work journal. And then the, to this morning, I was like, oh, I feel like I need to rewrite it. I want you guys to know I wrote it out in like my personal journal uh, because I feel like this teaching is not just for you guys. I think it personally is something that I need to hear and I need to engage with and I need to grow into and, and remember and know that God is pursuing me in ridiculous and incredible ways. And so this sermon is for all of you. It's for you if you know who Jesus is, you've been following him your whole life. If you've never heard of Jesus before you walk through these doors or anywhere in between, this sermon 
sermon is for you, not because I wrote it, but because Jesus is in it and, and he's all about it. And that's what it's his word that we're sharing tonight. So know that this, this sermon's for you. And so we start at the beginning. God, he created the heavens and the earth and he called it a good and he created humanity and he called it very good and he created all of it. And, and at the beginning, when God created it in Genesis, I'll let you read it yourself because if you've never read it, you should. It's really great. If you have read it, you should read it again. And, and, um, God created it, and he called it good. And we're in right relationship with God. God, he is love. And, and God created the world. We look at, in, in, at here at UPC and at the end, we believe that God is a triune God, which means three in one. God the Father, Holy Spirit, and God the Son. Community. It's a big theological concept. We don't have time to get into it right now. I would love to talk about it at some point. If you ever want to, come find me. It'll be great. But know for right now, the basis that you need to know is God is a communal God. He believes in community. He's all about community. He himself is community. And so God created us to be in community. So he made humanity to experience who he was in his community, love and relationship with him. You tracking? Good. Love and relationship with him. He created us not only to experience love and relationship with him, but with this earth that he created us and put, and that he created and put us on. We were created to be in this amazing place where we can have full impact on the earth and the ground and toil the soil. Ah, that worked out really well. Toil the soil. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and work the ground and, and create things and build things. And God gave us free reign to do all this. And he, he said, you are masters of this world. I have created you to just let loose on this world. And, and what you say goes. And, and he made Adam and Eve, and he had Adam name all the animals and gave us creative powers just like he did, like he himself had. And he made us in his image and made us to be in right relationship with him. This is the way God intended for the world to be. He intended for us to be in perfect community with each other, with the earth, and with him. All right? That right there is the kingdom of God. Perfect relationship with God, each other, and this earth. That's the kingdom. We on board? All right. Now, God himself is love. He created us to experience relationship. A part of relationship is choice. I don't think it's a real relationship if we don't have the opportunity to choose to be in it. That's relationship. When I say, I choose to be in relationship with you, I choose to love you. And in reciprocating that, I choose to love you back. God chose to love us. He created us. He chose us first. And he gave us the opportunity and the free will to choose him or not. And to make this a reality, he gave us one rule. He said, you do not eat of this one certain tree, this one fruit of this one certain tree. You don't eat of that. If you do, sin will unto the world, and you'll surely die, and you'll be separated from me. One rule. One tree. What happens when someone gives us one rule? It eats, us, it eats at us. It's the thing we focus on, right? Adam and Eve lost sight of the entirety of creation besides that tree that was given to them. Like, everything. Think about the thousands and thousands of trees that are out there and the thousands and thousands of fruits that are out there. You can eat anything, whatever you want. You have free reign at it all. God's just like, go, have fun. The first commandment he gives is be fruitful and multiply. So he tells them to have sex a lot. Like, it's like, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And... Like, God is just like, go at it. Like, I want you to, not like that. I want you to have fun in this earth. And you have free reign to do as you please, except eating of this tree. And what's the one thing that Adam and Eve did? Anybody? They ate of the fruit of the tree. They chose 
to, they chose their own way. They chose selfishness. They didn't choose the freedom that God gave to them. They chose their own bindingness. They chose the things that they felt was holding them back, not the reality of the freedom that Christ gave to them. So they eat of the tree. Sin enters the world. Sin, evil, death. The wage, the Bible says that the wages of sin, sin itself is separation from God. So separation from God, the wages of that is death. And now that we chose to not be in right relationship with God, sin and death and evil has infected everything. This perfect relationship that God created us to be in with him, with the earth, and with each other now is broken. The earth now is going to be hard to work. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be enjoyable. Work's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. Childbearing, no longer going to be fun. It's going to suck. Sorry, woman. That's horrible. Um, <laughs> uh, our relationship with God, the, the main thing, the thing that gives us life, the thing that we were created for, the thing we were created to experience, perfect life and unity, is now broken. We don't have that. God says, I can no longer interact with you fully because you have chosen not to interact with me, and I cannot be around anything that is evil, and now you have chosen evil instead of good in me. Tracking? All right. Evil has now infected the world. The world itself is now evil. This perfect ecosystem of love and relationship that God created us to be in is now broken. So, that's uh, Genesis 1 and 2. <laughs> and then, about this much of the Bible is uh, God using this nation called Israel, his people, his chosen people, to... Um, right the wrong that had been happened. He, he said, hey, I still want to be in a relationship with you. I'm going to choose these people, and I'm going to uh, display who I am, my love for the world through this people, and I'm going to right the wrongs that you have committed. And there was all these laws and all these ways that they had to live into because now the perfect ecosystem is broken. And so they have to, to come into relationship with God again. They have to eradicate the sin and evil in their own lives. And the wages of sin is death, so now they have to kill baby lambs and things like that, or doves or pigeons, whatever you can afford, because now blood is the only thing that can atone for the evil that's entered into this world. And so for thousands and thousands of years, Israel goes through and does this, and they keep messing up, and they keep falling, and they keep failing, and God gives them what they want. They're like, oh, God, we want a king. He's like, this is just going to suck for you. They're like, we don't care. We want it. So he gives them a king because he loves them. And like, when you ask your dad for something, he'll give it to you. And so God's a better father, and he's going to give it to them. So he gives it to them. And through this family of kings, there's this prophecy that the Messiah, the Savior, the one that will right all this wrong, that will right all this evil, that will bring us back into right relationship with God, he's promised to the world. Okay? You tracking with me? This is big. I'm sorry if I'm going on with a lot of history. Um, he's promised to be in the world. And there's so many stories about how he's going to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, and he's going to be this, this incredible person who brings in a new kingdom, a new order to the world, who restores the original order that things were meant to be. And this person is Jesus. He's the one that we find in the book of Matthew, preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, saying, repent for this kingdom, this original way of living, this way that God intended for us to live, is now here upon us. All right? Cool. Let's go. This is good. This is good things. Now, can we all agree... Um, okay, so Jesus is now here. He's here saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he goes on to explain what the kingdom of God is. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he does this. Um, but we still have this problem with sin and brokenness in the world. Sin still needs 
Uh, to, the blood needs to be atoned. We need someone to die on our behalf. Now, Jesus, we believe, is fully God and fully man and fully in right relationship with God. And Jesus himself took the place of those baby lambs, those baby doves, those goats, whatever it may be that paid the price for the sin of Israel time and time again. Jesus was the only one of us who never an exited relationship with God, was fully in it, did not experience sin, and he laid his life down and died for us. He paid the price. He paid the price that the world, that humanity chose to instill upon itself when we ate of the tree. Jesus didn't just pay it. He paid it on a cross. And he didn't just die and pay for our sins. Three days later, he rose again. And in raising from the dead, he conquered death. He conquered sin and started redeeming and restoring. And this is the entrance of that kingdom completely and fully. This is the reality that God's kingdom is now here when Jesus raises from the dead. Because in that moment, and this is my tangible, tangible analogy for this, and it's actually Jesus's, which is great. The cross, I'm wearing it on my neck. Jesus died on a cross. For years, hundreds and hundreds of years, the cross was a sign of dirtiness, destruction, death. It was ugly. You didn't, if I, if I went back 3,000 years ago before Jesus was around and I wore, a, someone saw a cross on my neck, they would be scared of me because I think I'm a barbarian and just love to kill people for fun. Like that is what the cross was. And they would, Rome would line up murderers and killers on the streets um, or just people that uh, were against Rome and have them die hanging there. And you would suffocate the way your hands and nail, feet would be nailed into the cross and you would hang there and suffocate. Um, it's a brutal death, <laughs> disgusting, ugly. It was the most disturbing symbol of death that people had back then. Jesus died and rose from the death, dead on the cross and now he redeemed that to where it's now the most beautiful sign that we have. It's a sign of hope. It's a sign of life. It's a sign of truth. It's a sign of this death and destruction that used to be the way is no longer the way. And that's what the kingdom of heaven does now. God originally intended for us to be in right, perfect relationship with him. We got out of it. Jesus came back. His death and resurrection on the cross made it so that everything now is being restored to that original order. Everything is being brought back to the original purpose of being in right relationship with God, with each other, and with this earth. You tracking? That is what the Sermon on the Mount preaches. That is what Jesus is calling us into. James was talking about how he couldn't do it on his own. Israel couldn't do it on their own. We can't do it on our own. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus raises the bar. Instead of... Uh, Instead of someone just being angry, he says now, hey, if you're angry, you committed murder. Hey, if you lust after somebody, it's just as good as cheating on somebody. The Sermon on the Mount isn't something that makes it easier for us to follow God. It's something that raises the bar and makes it harder. And the reason that's the case is because the kingdom is something that is far beyond our grasp. But Jesus has brought us into it. We can't earn it. Jesus gave it to us. We can't live into it. Jesus did. And now we get to live into the reality of what he did for us and be a part of him ushering in his new kingdom. Now is when it gets complicated, if it isn't already. <laughs> this kingdom of God is now and not yet. I think we have a slide. No, not yet. Look at that. Um, 
It's very high tech here at the end. <laughs> this kingdom is fully now, fully present. We are fully in the midst of it. God's kingdom reigns. It's also not yet. And by that, it's not fully realized. I'm going to give a shout out to my parents. Today is their 43rd wedding anniversary. Way to go. Winston and Lois, great people. Love them. Um, When my father married my mother 43 years ago today, he became a husband. That was fully who he was. That was his title. Everything about who he was was a husband. Did he know anything of what it meant to be a husband? No. He had been a bachelor for 32 years at that point. For his... And now, suddenly, he is a husband. But he's fully a husband. But he still has all these bachelor tendencies that are pulling him back. Like, before, if he wanted to go play basketball on a random night, he could go play basketball. Now, he's got to be like, hey, Lois, I want to go play basketball tonight. Is that cool? Yes, dear, you can. Or, no, dear, it's dinner. Like, we're meeting people. It's different. It's a different way of life. And he now has the responsibility of living into the reality that he is a husband. He is fully a husband, but it's not fully realized yet. And I can tell you that 43 years into marriage, he's still learning to live into being a husband and the full reality of that. It's not something that just happens right away. And this is what we see with the kingdom. We are waiting on God to fully redeem everything that has been for years and years, the evil that has been penetrating, the sin that has been penetrating this world that has been destructing and destroying and causing death. And now Jesus, as he resurrected on the cross, has begun that redemptive work time and time again in wherever evil springs its ugly head. Okay? With the hope and the promise that one day it will be eradicated totally that Jesus himself will totally blot out evil and sin from the world. And we will be in that perfect and right relationship with God that was intended at the beginning. So how do we live into this? What does this look like? It takes us back to that first verse. Next one. Yes. Jesus began... Oh. Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, is at hand. This word repent, it means to turn around. It means to go back to the right direction. It means if I need to go towards that table over there, and I'm headed this way, I'm going the wrong direction, so I must repent and turn around and start going the right direction. It means to be back in the right place, back in right relationship. When Jesus says repent, he's saying Acknowledge that you are broken. Acknowledge that you cannot do this on your own. Acknowledge that I am your Savior. Believe in who I say I am and what I've done for you. And now, enter into the kingdom and the things that I have for you, the freedom and reality of what this looks like. Can we move on? Repent. Kingdom. Boom. At the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, We're going to skip through, and over the next 10 weeks, we're going to go through everything that's in between repent and this. Um, But at the end of the sermon, Jesus says this. Everyone who has ears, hear these words of mine. Uh, Wait. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and the f- and against the house, and it fell, uh, and it fell, and a great was that fall. As you guys have noticed, there's still evil and there's still hurt in this world. Just like when my dad became a husband and this old way of life was tugging at him, evil is still tugging at the world that we're in today. Yes, the kingdom is now. Yes, God's redeeming all things. Evil still raises its ugly head. But the promise that God gives us, the promise that Jesus gives us, is that when we put our foundation on him, when we believe, when we repent and we turn back to him, when we come to him and we say, yes, Jesus, I cannot do it, but you can. You've already done it. You died. You rose again. You blotted out sin. And now you've given us a way to come and choose life. And you are going to be redeeming all things. When that's our foundation, when the storms come, which they will, they will come. I promise you that. When your girlfriend breaks up with you, your boyfriend breaks up with you, your parents get divorced, someone dies in your family, when anything like this happens and your world seems to become crumbling down around you, Jesus will stand firm because he conquered death on the cross. He rose again from, from the grave. And now he's redeeming all these things. And as soon as those things raise their ugly head in your life, he jumps in and says, I am going to fix this. This is not the end of the story. I'm redeeming all of this. It's going to be right. It's going to be Genesis 1. Things are going to be very good again. I do not stand for this evil anymore. I don't want this for you. I want my kingdom for you. I want you to forgive those who hurt you. That's the kingdom. I want you to, to when someone asks you for a hand, you give them two. When someone asks you for your shirt, you give, you, they, you give them both your shirts. You give them this and another one. When someone asks you to help them walk a mile, you help them walk two miles. Because when you start thinking of others more than yourself, you're entering in the kingdom of God. Because this is what God intended. We were never supposed to be so selfish in thinking about ourselves. Because when we do, we mess up. That's what we learned. When we start getting concerned about us, everything will crumble. It's crazy. But when Jesus is our foundation and we let him be the one that fixes it all, we come to him, we can then say, okay, I can forgive you because my personal vendettas are not as important as the redemption of the world. A perfect example of this is Charleston, South Carolina. A hateful and disturbed young man walks into a church and shoots up nine people just because of the color of their skin and leaves the others to survive so that they can tell the story of the brutality that happened there, that's pure evil, and that's not the kingdom of heaven. But the response of the people. This man went into this church saying, I'm going to divide this city by me showing you how much hate that there actually is. I'm going to show you how black and white people cannot get along in this city. And what happened in the city of Charleston? Black and white people came together, prayed together and said, we forgive this man who shot up this church. Friends and family of the people who died, we forgive this man. We know he's broken and we're going to come together and be stronger than he ever imagined that we could. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the redemption. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus does. A step further. After this man shot up that church, while he's still on the run, on the loose, a gospel singer, his name's Marcus Stanley, goes on his Facebook. 
he writes on his his po- on uh, on the guy's profile picture. He writes this long and beautiful post saying, "Brother, I forgive you." This is a black man saying to this white man who shot up black people because they're black. I love you. I forgive you. Come to Jesus because he's your only salvation. That's the gospel and that's the kingdom. That's what the Sermon of the Mount is calling us into. The kingdom of God is all things good. It's when your favorite song comes on the radio. It's when it's Christmas morning. It's Christmas Coke. I love Christmas Coke. It's, it's when you see your best friend that you haven't seen in forever or that you haven't seen for 30 seconds. It's when you run into them and see them. That joy, that, that, that feeling that you get, that excitement, that's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is also right after divorce when that same best friend comes and puts his arms around you and holds you while you're crying and says you're not alone. The kingdom of heaven is when someone goes into a church and shoots it up and the community comes together stronger and says, this will not break us because we believe death is not the finality of this world. We believe Jesus conquered that. And so we will come together and pray for this man and forgive him and be stronger than we were before. The kingdom of heaven is now and it's not yet. We're living into it. We're growing into it. And it all starts with making Jesus the foundation and with repentance. A lot of times in our Bible, the the Sermon on the Mount starts in chapter 5. After Jesus has said uh, these lines of repent for the kingdom of hand is upon you, I really believe it starts when he says repent. Because it takes repentance It takes coming before the Lord. It takes admitting our own brokenness and admitting the sin that is in our lives and admitting the fact that Jesus has paid the price for us and paved the way for us to live into this kingdom and is redeeming all things before we can come and actually live into the words and teachings from chapter 5 to 7. That's the world that Jesus wants for us, a world where hate does not stir more hate, but love comes in and blots that hate out, and that's the world I hope to live in. Is that a world you guys want to live in? Guys, I, I dream of this world. And uh, I was thinking of, <laughs> this is really corny. I was running, I went for a run this morning. Gosh, it was this morning. And um, I, uh, I ran up to the top of, oh, it was yesterday, I ran up to the top of uh, Gasworks Hill. And as I was running up, I'm like, man, just, just living the dream. I was listening to Trap Queen, and it was great, because... <laughs> Because I believe God's redeeming all things, even trap music. And um, I'm running up to the top, and I get to the top of the hill, and I look out over this beautiful city that we got, and I'm just like, God, this is the dream. And then I thought, you know what? The dream isn't this. Like, if I'm living the dream, or as Churchy says, L and the D, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually... I'm not, I'm not just living the dream. I'm living into the kingdom. And as corny as it may be, I'm living the kingdom in that moment. Guys, I don't want us to just live the dream. I want us to live the kingdom. Because the kingdom is the thing that's going to redeem and change all things. The kingdom is the thing that's going to just bring us into right relationship with God and right relationship with each other and with this earth that God created for us. God, the king, guys, the kingdom is the thing that God intended for us to live into. I'm going to finish with this quote. 
uh, by this guy named P.T. Forsyth. Interesting name. Great guy. Great quote. You can put it up on the screen. It says, Christianity, or following Jesus, is not the sacrifice that we make. It's not the way that we, we live into these set of rules or lay down different parts of our life. Yes, that's part of it, but that's not the essential piece of it. But it's the sacrifice that we trust in. Sacrifice that God, that Jesus made for us. Following Jesus is not the victory that we win. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn the victory that is promised in the kingdom. But it is the victory that we inherit. We've been given this kingdom. We didn't earn it. It was a gift given from God. Will we accept it? And will we look to live into it? Are you guys on board with me for the next 10 weeks? Cool. Let's go. I'm going to pray. And uh, Tay and Nolan will come up. And finish his autumn worship. Heavenly Father God, um, I thank you. I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for the fact that, that left to our own devices, that you haven't left us to our own devices. Because when we are, we fail miserably. But Jesus, you came down to this earth and you redeemed everything. You died for us. You paid the price for us. And you rose from the dead. And you are redeeming all things broken, God. I thank you that hate and evil is not the end. I thank you that life and truth is. And love, God. I thank you that you are working to make all things right with you. God, I pray for each person in this room. I pray that they would know, know that they're so ridiculously loved by you and that you are fighting so hard for them every day and every moment of every day, God. And I pray that we would choose to see you and live into that truth that you have for us and live into the kingdom that you're calling us to be a part of. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.